Hello, and welcome to the G2 podcast. Thank you. Amazingly, I don't have any references to trains in this talk whatsoever. I'm feeling like I should have put one in. <laughs> Never mind. Um, right, so uh, today we're continuing this uh, series on Hebrews, well, finishing this he- series on Hebrews, um, where we've been looking um, at how the author of Hebrews has described Jesus as greater than something. Jesus is greater than something. Um, So as a bit of a reminder, we're not entirely sure who it is that wrote the book of Hebrews, um, but based on its contents, we know it's somebody that was really familiar with the Torah, which is like the first five books of the Bible. Um, And clearly the audience that this person was writing to would also have known quite a lot about the Torah because otherwise they just wouldn't have got a lot of the references. So for us, we sometimes struggle to understand the book of Hebrews because it it can kind of go over our heads a bit. Um, But that that's kind of been what we've been unpacking these last few weeks. Um, so it, it was probably, we think, written to the Jewish believers that were in Jerusalem, um, and they were wavering in their faith. So they were, they were committed, committed Jews, and they were used to you know, all of the things that Jewish people would have done. Um, so their way of connecting with God would have been around things like the altar and priests and sacrifices. And they'd sort of given that up in order to follow Jesus. And some of them were starting to waver in that and question it. Um, They were being jeered, you know, by their persecutors. And they were thinking, you know, what have I done? What have I done? So the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, no, 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 this, the, the, the new way through Jesus is better. It's better than all of that. And it's not just wiping it away, but it's fulfilling it and making it better. So for us as Christians, um, what Jesus has come and brought is better. So there's been a bit of a pass, pattern to the to the week. So each week, I think Hannah's done the last two, um, and each week there's been this this pattern. So firstly, we've been introduced to a great person or persons. Then we've been told that Jesus is greater than that thing or that person. Um, then there's been a warning of some sort, some sort, and then finally we've been given some kind of hope to take away. Um, in the first week, if you can remember, Jesus was compared to Moses. Um, then last week, Jesus was compared to, anyone remember from last week? Angels, yep, yeah, that's right. Um, and then this week, we're looking at Jesus being compared to the high priests. So Jesus is better than high priests. So I'm going to start with asking a question. Have you ever been content with something and then by being comfortable with it, you've missed out on something better than that. So something that you've you know, just been content with it and thought, oh, this is quite good. Um, but by being comfortable, you've, you've missed out on something better. Now, I remember as a child going on this. Professor Burp's bubble works at Chessington Mod of Adventure. Has anyone else been on Professor? There we go. <laughs> One person. <laughs> so... There used to be this ride at Chessington called Professor Burp's Bubble Works. I think it opened in about 1990, and I went there as a child quite a lot of times, um, and I thought it was amazing. It was absolutely brilliant. So you got on these like little boats, and then it took you round. It was all indoors, and then the lights would flash, and then at one point you went down this little water slide bit. Um, I can't really remember anything else, but it was it was it was good. Did you know what? 
You remember it all very well. Brilliant. Um, so I went back year on year, and I went. I was like, that's the first place I'm going. That's pretty much the only place I'm going. Um, and that was it. Op at the opposite the entrance to Professor Burp's Bubble Works, there's another ride, and it's called The Vampire. Um, so this is, this, is, this is the original vampire. I'm told it's actually changed now, and they've made a new vampire where your legs hang, and it's actually better, because this one... Apparently, it wasn't actually that scary. But anyway, I had no desire to go on this vampire. I was very happy on Professor Burp's Bubble Works. Um, and because basically the vampire looks big, big and scary and horrible. And it might have gone upside down at some point, but actually it didn't. Um, so anyway, I, I never went. And then years and years went by, and I went on a summer camp. And while I was there, my dorm leader basically bullied me, I would say, now on reflection into going on the vampire and I went on the vampire and I came off the vampire and I was like this is amazing why have I not gone on the vampire and then basically I then was like okay I'm gonna go on every roller coaster that I can find so suddenly the whole park like opened up to me and I realized that Professor Burp's Bubble Works was not really everything it had cracked up to be now I'm not saying that this is true for everybody because when we were first married, Kat and I went to Alton Towers and I was like, you should go on air. It's amazing, Kat. It's brilliant. And I basically bullied her into going on air. It's called a Galactica or something now. And then um, bullied her to go on it. And she came off. And do you know what she said? She said, that was awful. That was horrible. Why did you make me go on that? So, yeah. So it's not always true. But the point of my story is that I, I was missing out on the vampire because I was content with something that wasn't as good and wasn't as great. Um, if I hadn't taken that risk of trying out the vampire, I would still be going round and round on Professor Burp's Bubble Works to this. Well, I wouldn't actually because I think it's been closed down. I was, yeah. I was reading on the internet. <laughs> so it's a bit disappointing. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 5. Verses 1 to 4. So if you've got your Bible with you, do, uh, do grab it. We're not going to be reading like one whole massive chunk today. I'm going to jump around a bit purely because there's so much in Hebrews 5 and 6 and a bit of 4. Um, but yeah, if you've got it, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Um, and so this is telling us about the, the old way. So this is describing the old way. This is the Professor Bubble Works way of relating to God, okay? So it says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So this passage is explaining the, the old covenant that God had with his people, the, the Professor Bubble Works, Professor Burps Bubble Works way of dealing with the problem of sin. High priests were appointed by God to offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people. But because they were fallible themselves, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well. Um, that was the way that, that people were getting right with God. Um, so you probably noticed in there there was Aaron that was mentioned, and you might have been thinking, do I know that Aaron? Um, and yeah, so that Aaron is the same Aaron that was with Moses, if you remember, helped Moses escape from Egypt, from, from Pharaoh. And on Mount Sinai, which is obviously that, that very famous story of um, God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, 
there were also lots of other commandments that came around. And part of that was around the these people called the high priests. Um, the rules that, sorry, the, the commandments that God gave to, to Moses included what these high priests were supposed to do, what they were supposed to wear. Um, and then God specifically appointed certain people to become these high priests. It meant that these high priests were sat basically between the people and God, and, and they had the privileged position of being able to draw near to God. Um, and so Aaron was made the very first high priest, and then his family line continued to serve as those priests all the way through to AD 70, so that's after Jesus um, and the destruction of the temple. The high priest, so not just the priest now, but the high priest had a really, really important part of Jewish life. Um, and the most important part of that role was on the Day of Atonement, which came around basically every year. Um, on, it was the 10th day of the seventh month of every year. And basically that high priest was allowed on that day to enter the most holy place. Basically, they go behind the curtain and they could approach God. Having made a sacrifice for themselves um, and then for the people, because remember, these high priests weren't perfect. They, they needed to do sacrifices for their own sins. Sacrifice for the people. And then they used to bring the blood from that sacrifice into the most holy of holies and they would sprinkle it onto the mercy seat, which was basically representing God's throne. He did this to make amendments or uh, atonement for himself and for the people, um, for the sins that were committed, in effect, for the, for the last year, and then it would be done every single year. So that's the old way. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, which is on the screen, and if you've got your Bibles, turn to that. Um, that describes the new way. So it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has, send, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Did you see the direct comparisons in that passage to the one before. Um, so it's saying Jesus is better than Aaron and the high priests and that whole uh, system. You see, they were all men of God, but none of them were perfect. Um, they, they had to perform these sacrifices for themselves before they were able to and amend for their own sins. Um, before they then amended for the sins of the people. Whereas it, it uses very similar words here, and it says Jesus was perfect. He was tempted in every way. So he was a human just like you and I and just like the high priest, and yet he didn't sin. So the stuff you, went, you go through, he went through. The challenges, the temptations that you have, he had. Um, he understands our weaknesses, and yet he didn't sin. That, that, the amazing thing about that is that that means that his sacrifice on the cross made total amends for our sin. We can live in confidence every day, knowing that if we come before him and ask for forgiveness, he will forgiveness. And he offers us mercy and grace in our time of need. And what's more, 
he hasn't just done that perfect sacrifice. Um, it is no longer just the great high priest who is able to approach the throne of God. Did you notice that? That in the previous passage, it was only the high priest that went to the throne of God. Now, now the writer of Hebrews says, let us, us, yeah, then approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can have direct access to our Father God, to Yahweh, the creator of the universe, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. We don't have to worry. You know, the, Jew, the Jewish people, they would have to worry that were the sacrifices being made properly? Was the high priest going to do the process correctly? You know, or, or the sins were too great or, you know, making sure that we'd done the right sacrifice. Instead, it says we can now be confident and certain that he has done it for us. He has paid the price for our sins um, and we can live with Father God, our Father God forever. Right. A picture. This, as many of you know, is Eleanor. Um, she is my youngest daughter. Um, so she's just just turned four. She turned four in August. Um, but because she's got an August birthday, that means that she's just started school. So this is her on her very first day of school two weeks ago. She's really, really small, um, and and and. Uh, but she seems to be enjoying it. She's taking it all in her stride. Um, she was very, very excited um, and a little nervous on that day. As a four-year-old child, she is totally dependent on me and Kat. Yeah? So she, but she can approach me. She can come to me with whatever, whatever, she, whatever she wants. She's not necessarily going to get it. But she can come to me boldly and say, Daddy, I want this. Yeah? Um, simply because she is my daughter. She doesn't, she doesn't have to do anything. She doesn't have to impress me um, to get me to love her. I love her because of the status that she has. She is my daughter. She is my child. And so it is with us and our Father God in heaven. You see, not only did Jesus make amends for us on the cross, not only did he tear the curtain that we've we've read about and opened the way for us to be able to approach the throne of God but he also changed our status completely in John chapter 1 verse 12 which some of you might have noticed is written on the piece of paper that's on your on your chairs um, it says and this is this is talking about Jesus it says to all who have received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Galatians as well, it says that Jesus, God sent Jesus, who was born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So this is talking about the old way again. That we might receive adoption to sonship. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And you are his child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You see, this is, this is the amazing reality of our relationship with God now. This is, this is a massive, a massive change from what, was gone, what had gone before and from the arrangements of the high priests like Aaron, where only certain people could come into the most holy of holies and sins had to be continually amended for by sacrifices and offerings. Now we can approach Yahweh, our Father God, like Eleanor, approaches me you know that boldness with which sometimes it's too bold she just honestly <laughs> she's i think she's getting worse at the moment but you know with that boldness where she can come and say like 
dad, I, I want this. Please can I have this? It's that same relationship that we can have with God. And it, it's not because of anything that she does. It is because she is my daughter. We are God's children. Okay, so we've done the first two bits of that bullet point, but what's the, what's the warning that we get in this passage? Um, so, chapter 5 again, verses 11 to 14, and I'm just going to read this. It should be the same as what's on the screen. Um, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And then just skipping ahead to chapter 6, verses 9 to 12. It says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. So that when what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Okay, we've talked about Eleanor. This, believe it or not, is Isabel. So Isabel is our eldest daughter. Um, um, and when Isabel was ready to start eating food, we decided to give something called baby-led weaning a go. Um, so for those of you that don't have kids or haven't had kids since this has been a thing, um, rather than pureeing foods, what you're encouraged to do is basically give your child, when they're at the age to start eating solid foods, just chunks of random solid foods. And then they're allowed to choose and pick, pick from it. Um, so it might be like a bit of carrot or a pear or a bit of cucumber, that kind of thing. Um, the mess that that created was ridiculous. <laughs> like, honestly, she'd just pick things up and just throw them on the floor, and you'd end up with this, like, array of food, particularly if you went out for a meal, because then I'd be like, I'd be saying to Kat, I'd be like, should we just go around and sweep it all off the floor, the poor people that work here? Um, but it did save us a lot of time with, you know, mashing and pureeing foods, because, like, it's a lot easier not to do all of that. And it meant, you know, when you go out to a buffet or something, you can just walk around and pick bits for, for your child to eat. Um, little children grow... They mature, they move on from milk to solid food. Um, in this passage, we're seeing the Jewish leaders, they can't seem to move on from the fundamental teachings about Jesus. They were struggling to get their heads around this new way of life without the need for sacrifices and, um, and offerings for sins. And they just couldn't let go of that old way of life. They kept going round and round on Professor Burp's bubble works <laughs> when there was a vampire roller coaster just outside that they didn't realize was there. Now, you might be thinking, I don't have this problem. I don't have a tendency to fall into the trap of trying to sacrifice burnt offerings for my sins um, instead of asking for forgiveness. But do you actually live as though you are totally forgiven for everything? that the things that you've done wrong in the past and the things that you've done wrong today and the things that you're going to do wrong are washed away. 
You don't need to walk around with the guilt of the things, of your mistakes, because Jesus, he, he says he dealt with it all once and for all upon the cross. So the author of Hebrews is saying we can move into this deeper understanding um, of God and our status before him by moving from milk to solid food. We could have kept Isabel just drinking milk you know, for the rest of her life. It would probably have been cleaner and easier and tidier. Um, she did, I did get her permission, by the way, to show this picture, in case I didn't say that before. Um, she was quite pleased that you were all going to see a picture of her, actually. <laughs> um, but she would never have grown into the strong and energetic nine-year-old that she is today if we just kept feeding her milk. Um, yes, it is messy, but the reality of solid food is much better for your development at the right, at the right time. So the warning here in this passage is that we might fall away by not moving from milk to solid food. That we might not be diligent to the very end, or we might become lazy. I mean, it was pretty harsh, wasn't it, in, in, in the passage? You might be becoming lazy in our spiritual lives. Verse 14 says that solid food is for the mature who buy, and did you see the phrase, constant use. So it's constant use of God's word. They have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Without constant use, we will not mature. We will all stay as infants and not grow into the mature followers of Jesus that we're called to be. Now, we, we do hear God's word, don't we, on a, on a Sunday. Um, and then, so maybe we have a meal on a Sunday. We could describe it as that. Um, and then we might have a snack midweek at our small group. But that is not going to be enough, is it, to grow? It'll probably keep you going, but it's not going to allow you to grow into your full potential in Jesus. So when I was at university, someone shared a really useful illustration with me um, about getting to grip with get, getting to grip with God's word in a constant way. So on your chairs, as I alluded to before, there was this little piece of paper, and it's got this diagram of your hand with a word on each on each finger. Um, each finger represents a different way that you might interact with God's word. Um, to help you to make to put God's word into constant use in your life. So the first one was your little little finger, um, and that's hearing. That's hearing God's word. So at G two on a Sunday, we maybe hear God's word being preached, um, but it is the weakest finger on your hand um, because apparently we retain about five percent of what we hear. So I'm glad I put so much effort into this talk. <laughs> So that's your, that's your little finger. And if you, try to, you know, if you try to grasp the Bible just with your little finger, you're going to, to be honest, struggle. Um, the next finger then is, is, read, is reading. So this is quite good because it will give you a bit of an overview of the Bible. You'll get a bit of an understanding if you read God's word. Um, and maybe it represents, I don't know, like people try and do a quiet time or something where they read God's word. Um, and it's represented by the ring, your ring finger. And generally we retain 15% of what we read. The middle finger is studying. Um, so when you study the Bible and really get into it, that's going to start to deepen your convictions and your understanding. Um, it requires greater time and effort. And most people retain 35% of what they study. 
which is still not great, is it? Let's be honest. Particularly if you're at university and you've studied, but you're only going to retain 35% of that. Um, so I'd suggest that's may that maybe represents small groups, you know, where we dig a bit deeper into, into God's word. Um, so this, this finger, your index finger, that's your strongest finger. Um, so for that, we've got memorizing God's word. Yeah, so that, that enables you to have bits of scripture ready when you're tempted or ready when you need to share something with, with somebody else. Obvi quite clearly, we remember 100% of the things that we remember. <laughs> yeah? Obviously, we need to constantly review, review it, but that's 100%. That's a pretty good, pretty good rate. So I would suggest that memorizing scripture is probably quite a good idea. Um, so all of those, they would all give you quite a good, a, good, a good grasp of the Bible, but it's still a bit like loose and a bit wobbly, if I'm honest. And if you flipped it upside down, it would just fall on the floor. Um, so the thumb is meditation. And in reality, all of those four things are, are accompanied by meditation. So that's really getting to grisp, grasp with God's word. And we would discover God's transforming power as we do those other four and we meditate on it. And we let the Holy Spirit speak to us about what's, what's in God's word and what God wants to say to you. And then finally, on, on the palm of your hand is the word action. Because as it says in James, um, faith without deeds is dead. So we can't just read the Bible. Um, we need to put it into practice. And with the help of God's Holy Spirit, that's something that we can do. So, this week, John chapter 1, verse 12, which was um, a verse that I read out earlier. I'd like you, this is an invitation, it's not something you have to do, but I would like you to try scripture memory. Give it a go and, and have a go at meditating on this, on this passage. If it's not something that you've ever done before, um, then don't worry about it. Um, but I'd strongly recommend you sort of maybe just go with a few words at the beginning of the week and then maybe build up to it as you go as you go through the week. Don't forget, and the big important thing is don't forget the actual chapter and verse because then when you do forget bits of it later on, you know where you're going to, to, um, to remember the rest of it. Um, and start by meditating on the words. So ask God to speak to you as you, as you read the, the passage or the verse. Um, so one of my favorite ways of doing that, and that's the way that I kind of learned with scripture memory, is as you read it, to put like a different emphasis on a different word each time. So if you just went with like, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And the next time you went, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And you get like a different emphasis, and God, I find God can speak to me in, in different ways just by doing that. So, back to where we started with the, uh, with the four points. A reminder of where we've got to. So, firstly, the high priests in the Old Testament, they were God's representatives, yeah? They were the great, the great people, the go-betweens between the Jewish people and God. They made amends for the sins of the people. But Jesus was greater because he was fully human, so he fully got the, the, the challenges that we face in the same way the high priest did, but he was perfect. And so his sacrifice made once for all was enough for all of time. That means that we're forgiven and we can approach the throne of God like children approaching their father. 
We're then given a warning, aren't we? Not to be lazy and to fall away by not putting God's word into constant use. But because of Jesus, we have a hope. Skipping on to chapter 6, verse 19, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever. I'll end with the amazing words of Charles Wesley's hymn, which is called And Can It Be? Um, He wrote this only a few months after he experienced this and got this for the first time. And then he went on and wrote like hundreds and hundreds of amazing hymns. Um, In his final verse, he says, No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne, and I claim the crown through Christ my own. Amen.